Hey everyone, this is Junior. I'm the pastor of Freedom Church here in Hawaii. Thanks for taking time to listen to our messages online. Our desire here at Freedom Church is that you would encounter God in such a real way that it would lead you to experience freedom in all areas of your life. So whether you're listening to this at the gym, on a run, or a drive somewhere, I hope you find our time together to be encouraging, faith-building, and life-giving. says he is the same yesterday today and forever say it with me he is the same yesterday today and forever and that should be, be encouraging why because in, an, in, in a changing world in a shifting world we need something that never changes and the good thing about things that never change is that we can rely on those things we can we can set our clock to those things. You know, nowadays, it's hard to know if someone's going to be there one minute and not be there the next minute. It's hard to know if you're going to feel one way about a friend and not feel the same way based on your politics. Maybe you're on a Facebook. You might unfriend somebody the next day. You loved them the day before, but they said something about Trump and about Pelosi that you didn't like, and they just unfriended you. Some of you just got to stay out of those battles. Stay out of those contentious pits of vile hate and vile contention and vile distraction. God doesn't want us in that. Go read Romans 13. You know what it talks about our government? Pray for them, submit to them, and honor them, no matter who's in power. Why? Because God put them all there. No, he didn't. Read the word of God, Romans 13. If, you're struggling, if you post on Facebook or Instagram all the time about our government, read Romans 13 before you post again, please, because there's so much stuff floating out there, but it's hashtag distractions. You know, this morning I want to talk to you guys about what God is doing in our church. And we talked about this kind of series called Assembly Required. And the whole premise of what God is wanting us to talk about week after week is that God requires us to assemble. God has a purpose for us assembling. When, when we talk about the church, we're not talking about four walls or a building. God is talking about an assembly. God is talking about a gathering of people. When, when, when the Bible was translated and, and, and again, man... Uh, is very uh, faulty. Man uh, wanted to, to, to change things around. And, and again, the original text says ecclesia, but when men wanted to use the gathering and, and control people, they called it this German word kirch, meaning a building, meaning a place, because it was taxable, it was controllable. But when Jesus uses that word, when he says, I will build my ecclesia on this rock, he meant I will build my assembly. I will build a gathering of people that look so different that's from multi-cultures, uh, multi-ethnicities, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, slave and free. He says he's going to build a church that everybody is welcome to, an assembly that everybody is a part of. Not like those things in the day where when he talked about assembly, they gathered by certain categories, race, beliefs, eating plans, maybe your height, maybe if you're a government official or not government, maybe if you're a slave or free. They gathered because they had certain things in common, but... In God's ecclesia, we all have one thing in common. His name is Jesus. That's why we gather. That's why you can look around and see so much diversity in here. Now, we can see diversity on the outside, but I'm not talking about just diversity on the outside. I'm talking about diversity on the inside. I'm talking about we come from all different backgrounds. We've all lived different lives. We all see the world differently. Although we have the same functioning eyeballs and the same functioning brain, there's things in our brain and things in our in our, in our past that tra- help us or make us translate things differently. And so I can see, we can all see the same thing on the screen 
and we all will interpret it differently. But that's the beauty of the assembly of God, that God assembles us with all different backgrounds and perspectives, and he says, but there is one perspective that I need you to see, all of you. There is only one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we, when the Bible says, if you are in Christ, what he's saying is if you are a believer in Jesus, now you take all your, ba- your, all your background, all your history, all your preferences, and you submit them to Jesus because he is the way. And so that's the, that's the beauty of the church, but it's also the prickliness of the church, isn't it? Because how many of you in here, and don't have to raise your hand, maybe not in this church, but any kind of assembly have gotten into really heated arguments over topics that you thought you had to know of, you know, whether it's communion, whether it's baptism, whether it's speaking in tongues, whether it's prayer, whether it's solid worship, whatever it may be. But even in, the own, in our own body of Christ, there's little points of conflict. And that's why we center around Jesus. Because he never changes. You know, worship music changes. The 60s had different kind of music. The 70s had different kind of music. The 80s, my favorite, had the best kind of music. The 90s had okay music. 2000, trash music. 2010, trashier music. 2020, is that even music? But music changes. But you know how many churches break up and have conflict over music? Ridiculous. I don't like that electric guitar. Pastor, it was too loud today. Well, where's some earplugs then? What about the words? Did you even look at the words? Because they matter. Now, if you come to me and say, well, pastor, that, the, the song we sang, I don't think that's very biblical, then we can talk. But if you don't like the loudness of a guitar or a drum, I'll give you some earplugs. All due respect. Why? Because we're singing about Jesus. We're not coming here for a concert. We're not here to hear our favorite artist play or favorite song. I know some of us check out when we're like, I don't like that song. I'm just going to look at my phone right now or think about my grocery list because I don't like that song. The beat is too slow, or they're singing off key. Too bad it's not for you. It's for him. It's for you, God. It's for you. So you see, God knew what he was doing. Why? Because there is a purpose of assembly. God has a strategy. God has a strategy. That's my message title this morning. God has a strategy. In, in this series called assembly required last week we talked about god you started this you ordained this you established this thing called ecclesia the assembly you require it you find value in it but i want you to know not only that it's required that it's god created god ordained but there is a strategy to strategy behind why god did what he did the way he did it Why did he assemble his people? Why assemble people from all different backgrounds, could grow up all different ways, all different ethnicities, all different cultures? Why assemble them together? Why bring them together? Why call them together? You know, there's many different names and and, and illustrations God uses to, to describe this assembly. He calls us a family. He calls us the body. He calls us the temple of living stones. That's why some of you are hard-headed because you're rocks. That's why. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and go, this is like that. Just do that. Come on. Come on. Do it with me. Let's go. Everybody. 
I'm watching you. Come on, do it with me. Let's go. Everybody. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it makes it better. Do it to somebody else. Then you do it, right? Do it to somebody else. Yes, yeah, I know. That's probably better. No one wants to do this to themselves. That's why God says we're living stones because some of us are hard-headed. But God still uses us to build his church. Amen. Some of us, when we start building stuff, we throw out things that aren't cooperating, right? Things that aren't beautiful, things that don't match. But God says, I take everything. I use everything for my glory. So don't ever think that you're not usable by God. Don't ever think that God cannot work through you. Don't think you have to look like somebody else, sound like somebody else, dress like somebody else, pray like somebody else, worship like somebody else, give like somebody else. You are who God made you to be. So be that and work. let God work through you. There are people in this room that I will never have the audience you have. And so if you expect me to reach them, God say, I got you there to reach them. So reach them. Don't expect the pastors or your friend or your neighbor or the televangelist or YouTube to reach them. You reach them. You're in proximity of them. We're all being built up in God's kingdom. So God is going to use you. The question is, are you going to be obedient and say, God, work through me? God has a strategy, church. God placed you there for a reason. I don't know if you need to hear that this morning, but God placed you there for a reason. And I'll give you another hint. It's not for your benefit. (laughs) It's for the kingdom and maybe for somebody else's benefit. You have no idea if someone's been praying for years and you just got promoted to a position and now you're in proximity of this person. But because that person is so irritating that you don't even get to know them, or they're so this and that, you're like, I'm staying away. But God may be saying, you are the answer to their prayer, so go talk with them. Why? Because you may find that they bring up something that you dealt with, and you can share insight, and God's going to use you as an answer to their prayer. How many of you would ever love to know somehow, somewhere, that you were an answer to someone's prayer used by God? Amen? I would love to see how many times I missed out on opportunities. Why? Because I know I have. Can I just be real with you? I know I have missed out on opportunities when God says, you are here for them, not for you. I am choosing to use you right now. There is a strategy. God has a strategy. Even in this church, God brought every single one of you here for a reason. And it's not just to hear me or hear the the worship team sing. You are a minister of the gospel, even in this gathering. You know that, right? When you see somebody in coming hurt, don't automatically think, well, I hope the pastors see that. I see what I, but I hope they get help. I hope they get prayer. I hope they, no, you go up and pray for them. Can I pray for you, brother or sister? Why? Because God is using us even in this gathering to minister to one another. You know, people have come up to me, the pastor, and said, God wants me to pray for you. And if I said, how dare you? I should be saying that. I am the pastor. No, I'm like, let's pray for me then. I have gone up to people and asked them for prayer. And sometimes they look shocked, like, what? what? You're the pastor. Just pray for me right now. And they pray, whatever prayer they pray, I'm saying, thank you. Because God wanted to either, one, let me hear something from him through you. Or two, build up your faith to pray. I don't know which one was it. I know I felt encouraged. So even within this church right here, man, you know when we start seeing God's house being built and more rocks being added to his house, his gathering? 
is when we realize it's not about us. It is not about us. It is about the kingdom building God. It's about the God that works through all of us. But again, I know it's not sometimes how we see it. So my heart this morning is to help you see it and you respond to it. The Bible says don't just be hearers of the word, but doers. And I'm going to remind you of that as much as I can. You can hear all you want, but until you do something about it, God says that's where the blessing is. And I'm going to be here every week telling you and reminding you, my prayer is that you would eventually do something about it. Do something about it. Be about the Father's business. Amen? See, last week we talked about assembly is required. The early church that Jesus talked about officially, and we say officially meaning recorded in Scripture, started in the book of Acts, chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit just blew over thousands of people. And Peter preached this message that cut them to the heart. It wasn't rainbows and butterflies and unicorn kind of message. It was like, the man you killed was Jesus. The man you denied, he's the savior of the world. And you know what they said? It says they were cut to the heart and said, then what shall we do? And and Peter said, repent and be baptized for your sins. And they did it. And the Bible says that 3,000 people were added to the gathering that day. Amazing. Amazing. It wasn't the music that caught their attention. It wasn't the preaching because Paul preached a message I think many of us would find like fire and brimstone in this day and age. But he just cut to the heart. Why? Because God was using Peter to get to the heart of the Jews and Gentiles and say it was bigger than anything you've known about your earthly eyes. It's about this thing called the kingdom of God. Repentance from sin. The Messiah that was promised in the scriptures now has come. And you've seen and heard about him. And that's the message that we all gather around. No more Jew and Gentile, slave or free. Men and women. This is the body, the assembly of God. He's creating this on the earth. It starts off in Acts chapter 2. And it wasn't by accident, but it was on purpose. Because God has a strategy. God knows what he is doing. And in Colossians chapter 1, it reminds me that we got to start off by saying that this morning I want to say that as part of God's strategy, the picture I want to maybe start off by saying what is God's strategy is that he talks about this assembly as the body of Christ. He goes on to say in Colossians chapter 1, he goes, he is the image of the invisible God, talking about Jesus, and the firstborn of creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all were created through him and for him. And he is, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And here it is, and he is the head of the body. He is the head of the body. Who's in charge? Who's the head of the body? Jesus. He is the head of the body, the church. (coughs) He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent before all things. He existed before all things. But verse 18 gives us a clear statement that you should underline in your Bible. He is the head of the body. He is in charge. He is in charge. It'd be funny. I I don't know. I was thinking about this yesterday because I was thinking about the body. And the Bible says that we all have parts to play in Romans chapter 12. It says that, 
For by the grace given to me in Romans 12, verse 3, you don't have to go there yet. It says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think of, but think of yourself rightly, meaning don't think of yourself better than anybody else. Think of yourself more, more, more important than anybody else or more needed than anybody else. Just have a sober judgment of who you are because he begins to, he get, begins to link this to the measure of faith that God has given you, the measure of grace that God has given you. God has assigned us all a measure. God has given us all a measure. I wish God gave me a measure of six foot six, 285 pounds, like you'd be in the NFL or NBA, but he didn't give me that measure. He gave me a five foot 11, 195 pounds, non-athletic. That's what he gave me. And I'm maximizing it. I'm maximizing it. Why? Because that's what God has assigned me for. And he goes on to say in verse 4 of Romans 12, for as in one body, everybody say one body, we have many members and the members don't all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of each other, having gifts that differ according to the grace God has given us, let us use them. If prophecy, then in proportion, then prophesy. If it's in service, then serve. If it's someone who teaches, then teach. If somebody is an exhorter, then exhort or encourage. If one who is a giver or contributes, then be generous. And if one who's a leader, then lead with passion. And if one who is a merciful person, then be merciful with cheerfulness. But he talks about this picture of the body. And I like a picture in my mind was just how our body works just just seamlessly, doesn't it? And when our body doesn't work, we kind of know something's wrong. Anybody ever have their legs fall asleep on them some way, shape, or form? And like they're like, like they get up from somewhere, a couch or wherever it is, and their leg is asleep. And it's like it was functioning a minute ago, and now it's like I can't even walk. You know? Or like maybe someone, you know, hit a funny bone and everything just tingles up. It's like, oh, my gosh, just one little part of my body affects the whole, I just go crazy, you know? Or someone, how many of you here are afraid of needles? Anybody afraid of needles? None of you? Okay, you guys are all brave people. Well, Callie's afraid of needles, yeah. My wife is deathly afraid of needles. <laughs> well, I'm like, whatever. Just do what you got to do. But even in these little body parts that, you know, get, get stuck and, and damaged and whatnot, they, they can take over the rest of our whole body. Like, I remember my son, when he was getting his shots for like, not the first time, maybe like when he got a little bit older and he knew he didn't like shots like my wife. I remember the doctor came in, and I, we told him one shot. But in the end, the doctor said, no, he's getting three of them. And my son thought I was the worst person in the world because now he's like, I thought you said one. Now it just tripled. And I can tell you, I had never seen this boy at, I forget how old he was. He might have been like five, six years old, whatever that, that type of frame, have man strength. You know what I'm talking about? Like this kid had man strength. Like, I had to, like, almost give him in, like, a, a real naked, real naked choke a little bit. I had to hold him with my, wrap my legs around and put him in. Like, you know, I had to kind of hold him. He was, like, squirming. He was, like, giving me elbows and trying to get out of this grip. I said, nurse, you better do it now before I kill my own kid right here. You better stick him. Stick him three times good because I'm just, and he's like, ah, he's screaming so loud. I remember him in the room going, they must think we're killing my kid in here because he was going nuts. And then once the thing got in him, he's like, is that it? I'm like, that's it. Why are you screaming so much? He's like, I'm just so afraid. And it's like, man, you're nuts. But he was so afraid that one little part of his body, like, affected his whole mind. And he was trying to get out of that room. And when it happened, he was like, is that it? I'm like, yeah, that's it. What were you so afraid of? But I was imagining, like, when you stub your toe. Man, you ever stub your toe when you weren't expecting it? Oh, my God. Oh, ah! Your wife was like, what's going on, honey? You got shot or something? Stub my toe. Get over it, you know? 
We'd be slamming your finger in the door like these small people. And, 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 and I was thinking about just all the different analogies I could, analogies I could make up. But you know what the, the weirdest one I thought of was this? If I came to you one day and I came with my hand chopped off, and I said, you said, Pastor, what happened? And I would say, I don't need it. I don't need my hand today. I left it at home. You'd be like, oh, I'm going to a different church right now. This guy is crazy. Imagine if someone came in with both arms chopped off. Last week you saw them with two arms. And you're like, what happened to you? And they came in and said, I don't need it today. I'm just going to play soccer today. I don't need my hands today. I'm just going to be, I use my feet all day. And all of us walked in here with some body part missing. You'd be like, this is the weirdest church I have ever been to, almost like Frankenstein's creation. Or what if somebody came in with two right hands? You'd be like, that is the weirdest thing ever. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, a missing body part is weird. It draws attention. But you know, God says, we are a perfect body. And so I got to draw from that conclusion. God's heart breaks, not in the sense of our heart breaking because he's not a man, but his compassion for his assembly, his body, is that, man, they're playing on one leg today. That person who I made the leg doesn't seem to believe that they're part of that body. Or that body is not seeming to be whole like I created them to be whole. Why? Because they believe they don't need the hand. They actually ostracize people who are hand people. They ostracize people who are leg people. They ostracize the people who are opposable thumbs. They need, that's the most important part right now. They need that to pick the rest of it. You know what I'm saying? When God sees his church, his body, does he see a complete body? And the question is, are you playing your part? Because you already are a part of. So if you're like, well, I'm not. No, you are already. So do your part. Because you're already a part of the body. It's me walking around with a dead arm. Hey, what's up? Hey, how you doing? Yeah. Well, you have an arm, but you're not using it. Yeah, I know. Weird, right? Yeah. Hey, what's up? High five. You know? That's how sometimes I think I, God sees the church. Like, man, they have it all, but they're not using it. God has a strategy. To reach this city, God has a strategy. If God wants us to give the city a spiritual high five, but there's no arms to do it, how is he going to do it? I want to be the body he uses. I would love to be the body he says, you know what, you go in there and minister to these youth this week. You go in there and minister to the incarcerated families this week. You go in and minister to the people who live in poverty. You go and minister to those who are coming out of addiction. You go in there with the full capacity of this body I gave you, and you minister. You all have a part to play because you're already a part of. And the good news is that God has already ordained it. God has already established it. Now, are you willing to do what he's called you to do? You see, when God talks about his body, he says there is a strategy in the body. It's God's ecclesia. God establishes. You know, I've been... Recently getting into uh, sneakers, not shoes, okay? Not shoes. It's called sneakers. Sneakers sounds more cool, sounds more hip, sounds more professional, sounds more manly. Sneakers, man, not shoes. And I always loved sneakers. I always loved 
Jordans, always loved Nike, always loved a little bit of Adidas. But this is one thing I got from my dad that I was thinking about this past week as I was driving. You know how, like, sometimes you think about just God brings it to memory to certain things. And as I was driving somewhere, I felt the Lord remind me of this, this really great characteristic of mine that God had given me through, uh, of course, his gifting. But he reminded me, like, you know, your dad used to do these things. You're just like him in that way, so embrace it. My dad loved to, like, just try anything, get rich quick schemes. Like, he'd buy stuff on, as seen on TV and try and make a business out of it. He was an entrepreneur, pretty much. He was a risk taker. He was somebody that just liked to try all kind of stuff. Even if people said, you crazy, why are you buying that picture framing business for? I don't know, I feel like I can, and he just was always like that. My mom would always say, why is your dad doing now? I'm like, I don't know, but it's kind of cool. You know, one, I remember one time he did a vending machine business. One time he did a picture frame business. One time he did a screen repair business. He was like doing all kind of stuff. And just because he liked the challenge of being an entrepreneur and like trying to, to just uh, push himself. And I appreciate that about my dad when I grew up. I remember it now. I didn't appreciate, that, appreciate it as much then, but I appreciate it now because in my faith, I feel the same way in my faith. I'm not afraid to take a risk for God. I would love to be God's entrepreneur. And start something, he says, go out there and do something no one has done yet. Just do it. And fall flat on my face in your standard, but see that God says, well done, my good and faithful servant in his standard. Some of us are too afraid to take a risk because of what others will say about us. But the only thing that matters is what God says about us. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Not the praises of man, but the praises of the one who made us. And so I'm getting into these sneakers, and, and one thing I want to, you know, remind you is that when you get into sneakers, I didn't realize how much money you can make from sneakers. And I used to like selling stuff on eBay and selling stuff on Craigslist. I just like flipping stuff. I, you know, I go to, sometimes I go to uh, garage sales. Me and my youngest son have this in common. We go try and find the best treasure. We're like on eBay going, oh, we can buy that for 25 cents and go back and sell it for five bucks. We can make a profit. Like, I just love that kind of stuff. I don't know why. I just love doing that kind of stuff. And so I want to show you some shoes on screen. And I want you to just tell me how much do you think these shoes are worth? Just, just humor me, okay? These sneakers. How much do you think this sneaker is worth? Anybody guess? Oh, you guys are good. <laughs> Will's like, thousand, what? So this shoe, or this sneaker came out yesterday. I tried to get it. And it was, it was base price, 100 and, oh uh, no, so 200 bucks for this sneaker. Even that's too much for some of you, right? $200 for this sneaker. Immediately after, on the resale market, it went up to $1,000. Yes, because this is Michael Jordan's first release of 1985 called the Jordan 1 sneaker. Because, like, I don't care, Pastor. It's still not worth $1,000 to me. Well, what about this sneaker right here? What about how much do you think these are worth? Less than that, yeah. You know, maybe about, I don't know, depending on the market. Could be, you know, it's like $800, $700, depending on the size, you know. This is, they call it a Travis Scott Air Force shoe, right? Like, she knows, Angel knows, right? You know, it's the young people know these shoes. They know all these shoes. And Travis Scott's a rapper. Some of you don't listen to rap. I know you guys are too holy to listen to rap. But he makes these shoes, and now it's so expensive, right? And, and you can't get them anywhere. But what about this last shoe right here? How much do you think this shoe is worth right here? That one. <laughs> that looks like a Tesla. That's like a, yeah. That shoe is probably like, you know, $700. Stop it, man. This is how much it's worth on the resale market. Original might have been $220, but this is Kanye's 
shoe, the Yeezy shoe, right? It's like worth seven, eight hundred bucks, depending on what size it is. And but retail, when you first buy, it was like two hundred twenty bucks. You know, why am I bringing this up to you? Well, and it's crazy what people are. What was that? You gonna buy it for me, Will? I'd be so glad if you bought one of those shoes for me. If you can find, there's this whole and I'm not to digress, right? There's a whole uh, Instagram channel called Preachers and Sneakers. That preachers wear these expensive sneakers. I'm not wearing anyway, but it's like these preachers, they're getting on blast because they're wearing these expensive shoes. But anyway, that's a whole other topic. But the crazy thing about it is that people are willing to pay the resale price. The original price, $200, $160, $150, but jacks up to $800. Who determines the price? The resale market. But the crazy part is, the buyers also determine the price. If I'm buying it, then people go and sell it, right? If someone's paying a thousand bucks and that's the market, then people are gonna charge a thousand dollars. People are willing to pay, sacrifice, give up their hard-earned money, whatever it costs to get that shoe. And even though I love shoes, I'm not willing to do that. I'd probably be killed by my wife if I ever spent a thousand dollars on a sneaker. But it's funny in this world, some of us in this room are willing to pay resale price on our standards. Because God has set the standard at a certain level. And if we live to that standard, it's not going to cost as much. When God says be pure and stay pure and stay holy, the resale market says no, it's more expensive. There's more things you got to do. You got to buy more clothes. You got to sleep with so many people. That's the resale value of, of, of sex and, 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 and feeding the flesh. I, and some of you are willing to pay that. Why? Because the return is awesome for some of us. I don't want to just live at this level. I don't want to do what God says because, but he sets the price. But the world resells it and actually charges you more for it. You end up paying more in the end. You know that, right? If God said to not do this, and God said, if you trust me in your finances, and God says, this is the cost. But you're like, that's too much. But the world has an Arisa value of saying, well, you know what? The money is yours. You can make more money by just taking your money and putting it in here. And God says, no, I'm just telling you to just trust me with your finances. But you are being sold a resale value of finances that God never said that's the cost. You're willing to pay more for this, more for Starbucks, putting your money in this game. You start putting money where God said don't ever put it. And in the end, you end up paying more than what God would have said was a 10%. You end up paying more in the end by doing it the world's way. In relationship, God says, I want you to behave this way in relationship. But in the end, you pay more in the end with heartbreak and frustration and anger. Man, if you just did it God's way, you wouldn't be paying so much on the other end, on the resale market. See, God has a strategy, doesn't he? God says, this is the way. God establishes. God never changes his price. God says, it's always the same. God says, this is the way it's always been. And you know what I want to leave you here with, that I want us to walk out here with as an action point? God's strategy for us this week, God's strategy for you in your walk with him, God's strategy, God's plan right now is, well, what is God's plan? Well, this is a part of his plan. And to me, it's one of the most basic beginning plans that we get to start with. God's strategy, 
God plan, God's plan is sacrifice and surrender. What is sacrifice? Sacrifice is the act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or valuable. People are willing to sacrifice their overtime money for these shoes because they find these shoes more valuable than a vacation with their family maybe. Or maybe giving to God what is his already. They, they, they are willing to sacrifice for one. That's why the Bible says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve money and mam- I mean, mammon and God. There's stuff and the creator. You're, you're going to hate one and love the other. You're going to despise or look down on one and regard the other. It's so true, isn't it? It's so true. But God's strategy for us as his believers, as his assembly, is sacrifice, surrender. In the book of Second Preferences, in the me version. You guys have that in your Bible? The me version? The book of Second Preferences? I got that. It says, I own it all, I made it all, and I can spend it all on me all. You got that in Second Preferences, chapter 1, in the me version? Nobody else got that Bible? Because I think we all got that Bible, don't we? It's, it's in the hidden section of our, our, our version app. It's in the, it's in the, the hidden section the me version. Anybody ever put the me version on the screen? We do it every day. We do it every day. Our favorite book is Second Preferences, isn't it? Second Preferences, chapter one. I remember it by heart. I made it. I own it. I can spend it any way I want it. Whew. It's more popular than John 3.16, I think. Me version, chapter one. Second Preferences. You guys all remember. And I'm making a lot of it because that's how we operate. We forget that God owns it, God gave it, and God wants to use it. That's, that's what his plan is. So how do we walk out? How do we live out surrender and sacrifice? Well, read Romans chapter 12. I challenge you to read Romans 12 this week from beginning to end. It talks about relationship. It talks about being able to love each other in chapter 9. Rono verse 1, right? Offer ourselves or present our bodies, present our bodies, present the body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your worship. This is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to the patterns or the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that when you're tested, you can discern what God's will is. And he goes on to say about the body and where every member is. And in Romans 12 verse 9, he goes, you know what surrender looks like? Be genuine in your love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love never holds records. You know, you know Corinthians 13, right? That's how we surrender. It's, it's not my will, but your will be done, Lord. He goes, don't hold on to what is evil. Hold on to what is good. Can you find the good in people? Can you find the good in the situation? Love each other with brotherly affection. Look, I love this one. This is one, this one I highlighted in my Bible. It's not yours, but I, I think this is huge nowadays. Outdo one another in showing honor. You know how dishonoring our nation is right now? You guys are not just talking about our government. Talking about what you see on social media. How kids treat teachers. How kids treat parents, 
of Kid Street authorities. But you know what? Can I just say you this? The fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. If they're home getting disrespected by their parents, they're getting treated and abused by their parents, how do you think they're going to act? Now, it's not an excuse. It's just a result. So as parents, we have a responsibility to respect and love our kids in a way that teaches them, not babies them or coddles them, but disciplining them. You know how much, and I think about this all the time, you know how much we gripe and complain about disrespectful kids and say, they need a spanking. No one says that to God. We need a spanking, Lord. We've been so disrespectful. We need a spanking right now. Those kids of God have not been disciplined in a while. Anybody pray that prayer? When I see Brother Will, Lord, spank that child. Spank him. <laughs> I don't pray that. I don't, but I should. <laughs> we, we say that about everybody else's kids. But as a family, I'm not saying to do this, but Lord, spank some of your kids. Some of you are getting spanked right now. Disciplined. Not punished. Disciplined. The Bible says, God disciplines the one he loves. Love one another with affection. Outdo each other in honor. Don't be slow in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in trials. Be constant in prayer. This is how you sacrifice. This is how you surrender to God. It's not very complicated, church. When we do this prayer thing again next quarter in May, my heart is that all of us participate. It's an hour of your day. It's an hour of your day. Some of you spend more hours on Netflix than you should be spending on Netflix. But you can't give an hour to God. Hello, Lord, spank your kids. You see, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to be hospitable with people. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Don't ever think down on people and say, ugh. Don't ever have a spiritual ugh in your heart. You ever have that? I had that before. The spiritual ugh. Like, not me, Lord. Somebody else. No, you. Why? Because you were somebody ugh before. Somebody saw you and ugh, I don't want to mess with that. And now, God say, now you can be someone's lifter, someone's encourager, someone's prayer warrior, someone's mentor, someone's discipler. Why? Because God doesn't want us to have that spiritual ugh with people. You know when people feel a spiritual ugh, the enemy goes, I got them. And the enemy can use that to say, see, they don't love you. See, they don't need you. See, they don't respect. Some of us in this room need to even stop believing the lies because we want you. We need you. God has you for a reason. So if the enemy is telling you, oh, Freedom Church, this, that life group, this, don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lies. My heart as a pastor is that we all get rid of the uh in this house. Repay nobody for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably. As far as it depends on who? You. Well, I will when they will. No. You will because God said to. As parents, you ever use that with your kids? But, but, because I, I said so. 
And sometimes I, I said that a couple of times. I walked by, I said, that wasn't even a good reason. But I'm the parent, and he listened, so it worked. You know what I mean? God is saying, not depending on them, but depending on you. Live at peace with people. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something. That's why the church was so weird back then. Because people are like, no, my mama told me when someone hits me, I hit him back. But then Jesus said, no, turn the other cheek. Feed your enemies. They're like, you crazy, Jesus. But he said, that's my strategy. You know what the world needs now? And not what the Beatles says, love. That's the song right from the Beatles, right? No? Who sang that song? I forget, me too. It doesn't matter who sang that song. It's a lyric, but it's not true. The world needs now is obedient Christians. It's not just lovey-dovey, everybody huggy. It's we need obedient Christians. Why? Because the Bible says when we live differently, when we live to God's standards, they're like, what is going on? Why do you forgive? Why do you give God what is his? Why do you uh, go to church? Why do, you, why, do you, uh, why do you encourage people? Why do you spend? Because God is amazing. And they're attracted. If we just behave like the world, no one's going to notice. In fact, the enemy's not going to mess with you because you're doing a good job at, and not being a witness anyway. What the world needs now is obedient Christians. Not arrogant Christians. Not flaunting Christians. Not Bible-thumping Christians, but obedient Christians who love like Jesus would love, who love like God would love, to be patient with one another, to pray for those, to not look down on people, not to seek vengeance, to actually pray for your enemies. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by doing good. If you were encouraged or inspired or blessed by the message you just heard, we'd love to hear about it. Visit us at myfreedomchurch.org and leave us a comment or a message. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do so through our website. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to get all the latest messages. Thank you for joining us and God bless.